You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. And it's official, the conservatorship of Britney Spears has been terminated. In a sea of pink confetti, fans of pop superstar Britney Spears cheered, danced, and sang outside the courthouse in Los Angeles after a judge terminated the conservatorship that had controlled almost every aspect of the singer's life for nearly 14 years. Brittany talked about finally regaining control of her life on Facebook. I'm just grateful, honestly, for each day and being able to have um, the keys to my car and being able to be independent and feel like a woman and um, owning an ATM card, seeing cash for the first time, being able to buy candles. It's the little things for us women, but it makes a huge difference. Now the people who controlled Spears and her $60 million fortune are looking at possible legal action against them, especially her father, Jamie Spears, who Britney's attorney, Matthew Rosengarten, said crossed unfathomable lines in his control and surveillance of his daughter. This conservatorship was corrupted by James P. Spears. Joining me is Harry Nelson, managing partner of Nelson Hardiman. So, Harry, Britney Spears didn't even attend this hearing, which took all of 30 minutes. All of a sudden, there were no objections when, as recently as last spring, there were objections. What happened? So I think the writing sort of was on the wall about how this was going to go. So, you know, the resistance, not only Jamie Spears as conservator, but everybody around Jamie you know, could see that this was not going well and that this was going to reflect badly. And, and so we had this massive pullout of the entire support structure, right, of all of the lawyers asking to be taken off of this case, all of the representatives, the co-conservators. So basically it became clear that Jamie Spears was staring down the barrel of significant accusations of financial mismanagement and other wrongdoing, invasions of privacy. And so at some point he made the decision to flip 
and take the position that he also wanted the whole matter put to rest. I think it was pretty clear that his hope was that that would also put to rest an investigation of him, which doesn't seem to have happened. But that was really the critical shift that got everybody into alignment. Normally, are there a series of mental evaluations before a conservatorship ends? Yeah, so the typical pattern is that a judge is called upon to decide that a person is capable or not of managing their own personal decisions around their health and providing for themselves and also, you know, capable of financial management. So normally a judge would be asking for a psychiatric evaluation to have some evidence and some record on that point. But it's clear that uh, in this case, Judge Brenda Penny decided that that was not necessary, that there was a clear enough record that Brittany was managing effectively. I think a lot of the credit for that really belongs to her new lawyers who took over the case several months ago, Matthew Rosengard, who made it clear just how capable she was and got everybody else on the run. Did the judge keep anything in place, you know, any caveats? Yes. So this is still a live case. At this point, the, the conservatorship is over. So Brittany is free. But there is still going to be a longstanding battle that's going to be fought aggressively over how much wrongdoing is attributable to Jamie Spears and also to the firms that worked with him, in particular TriStar Entertainment, which was a management company that he hired. There's a big fight that's been going on for the last couple of weeks over subpoenas that were issued by Britney's team trying to get at documents going back many years. And on the other side, pushback saying, no, the court approved expenses. We shouldn't have to go back and look at all of this stuff. So it's going to be interesting. The judge is still going to have some work to do to decide how far to let this investigation go. And it's an investigation not just of financial mismanagement, whether Brittany's money was wasted or spent inappropriately, but also about how decisions were made to engage Black Box Security, the firm that supposedly bugged her bedroom and mirrored every text message from her phone. And so that legal battle is probably going to be playing out for many months. Her father exercised so much control over her, from minute things like what she ate to major things like birth control, going way beyond what a guardian should do. Is there going to be any investigation into that? I think that's going to be very difficult for Matthew Rosengard or for for Brittany's legal team to challenge. You know, a lot of the medical decisions are water under the bridge, and it's hard to prove You know, it's very subjective to decide what was and what was not in her best interest. At every point along the way, Jamie Spears had engaged doctors to support the decisions. It wasn't as if he was like playing doctor himself. So I think it's going to be very, very difficult to go back and challenge those decisions, even though, you know, we can look in the rearview mirror and say that they seem overbearing and inappropriate and troubling, thinking about how somebody living under a conservatorship can be oppressed by these kind of decisions. The father, Jamie Spears, is fighting back or resisting. But is there any doubt that there's going to have to be a reckoning about the finances? You know, it's a very difficult question because it calls up the issue of whether the judge failed to exercise enough scrutiny. So we have a case where a judge is being asked to decide whether Brittany's legal team is permitted to go back and examine things. you got to remember, this has been going on for 13 years. So how far back are we going to let the lawyers go, right? It seems uncontroversial that decisions that were made in 2019, for example, in Jamie Spears' fight to keep the conservatorship at that time in place are going to be reviewed. But some of these earlier questions about how this whole security apparatus went into place and how much money was spent on that whole effort, it's a very close question. 
puts the judge in a difficult position. I suspect that the judge is going to be under pressure to allow more discovery because she, after all, was the one who rubber stamped many of the decisions that were made here. So I think she's in a very awkward position. And I suspect that Brittany's team is going to get to examine more than her father or his legal team and managers would like. But that still remains to be seen. The judge for 13 years or 12 out of 13 years approved all this. So it seems like maybe another judge should be handling this at this point. Look, I think it's a fair question. I think in fairness to the judge, you know, the judges who hear these cases are required to hear many, many cases. They have very busy dockets. And the judge was sort of hamstrung because the longtime lawyer who represented Brittany, his, his name was Samuel Ingham, to say he did a very passive job as her lawyer would be an understatement. He did almost nothing. So the judge is in a very difficult position. In our legal system, we look to judges to generally be passive and to rule on the arguments that are being presented to them by the lawyers. This was a case where, for whatever reason, Brittany's court-appointed lawyer really seems to have just remained silent over years and years of abusive behavior. And so the question of how far the judge should have gone and how much she should have asked questions that the lawyer wasn't asking I think is a fair one. It's a good one, but I also think it's a tough question. If we're going to be fair, I think we need to really say that the entire system failed here, and the judge is part of it, and maybe a new judge here wouldn't be a bad idea. I understand that her parents are asking for attorney's fees. Everybody, there are lots of requests coming into the estate to cover expenses associated with this case. I believe part of it is that there were claims that the Free Britney movement was posing security threats and lots of work needed to actually physically protect and to protect the reputation of her family members. So the judge is getting, I believe, requests from both parents for reimbursement. And I think those are going to be highly contested. To me, it it seems difficult to understand why Brittany should be forced to pay for problems that were not of her making and that could have been avoided had this whole farce of a legal proceeding not been necessary, right? If, If her rights had been respected, we wouldn't be here. So to force her to pay for the collateral effect on her parents, to me, seems aggressive. So her lawyer has suggested that beyond what happens with this judge, that he might take action in a civil court against Jamie Spears. Right. It's also another interesting question of how much is Jamie protected by the fact that he was exercising this legal capacity to the extent that he acted maliciously or in bad faith or that he exceeded the scope of his power, his authorization from the court in everything that he did. And the security invasions with this company, Black Box Security, seemed to be a really good example of that. Then there certainly is a risk for him that this matter goes beyond the conservatorship. It would be an unusual case to see a conservator facing civil liability, practically unheard of, but this might be the exceptional case where the conservator's conduct was so bad that it calls for a civil court action. If Brittany acts in any way that could be construed as irresponsible or out of control. Is she in danger of being hauled into court again? In other words, can she do whatever she wants? I think Brittany is legitimately free at this point. I don't think that that is a substantial risk. First of all, I think Brittany has enough of a support structure around her now, and that part of what her legal team is doing now is putting trust in place, putting trustees, and really making sure that she's got infrastructure around her to make sure that she can't be accused of being totally out of control 
and needing a family member to manage her. It certainly looks like this has been a deeply traumatic moment for this entire family. And I can't imagine that Brittany is going to be facing this risk again. But I do think we are going to see a continuing focus on other celebrities, for example, who are at risk. I think we're going to see more people think of conservatorship as an option for people who seem to be completely out of control. But I think personally that Britney is out of the woods on this one. Has the Britney Spears example led states to make changes in conservatorship laws? There has been some legal reform already, a number of initiatives in different states on conservatorship. There's also a federal bill pending, which even though this issue really is typically handled at the state level. So I think we are seeing the beginnings of a lot of reform efforts, including here in California, by the way. So I think that we're going to see some more laws to require more transparency, more attention to financial conflicts of interest, just more transparency and more accountability. Thanks, Harry. That's Harry Nelson of Nelson Hardeman. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. People are sick and tired of COVID and the impacts on the economy. We understand that. We're, we're tired of it too. That's why this is the number one priority continues to be getting COVID under control. People are sick and tired of COVID and the impacts on the economy. We understand that. We're we're tired of it, too. That's why this is the number one priority continues to be getting COVID under control. Even though the country may be tired of COVID, as White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says, the legal fights over the Biden administration's vaccine mandate are just beginning. And it's the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in Ohio that will handle the challenges to the vaccine mandate after winning a circuit court lottery. Multiple lawsuits were filed against the emergency rule in 12 circuit courts, so a lottery was held to determine which court would decide the consolidated cases. 
a dozen ping pong balls were placed in a wooden drum and the six circuits was drawn, sort of like a Powerball drawing. Joining me is Robert Field, a professor of law and public health at Drexel University. So the emergency OSHA rule requires that workers of large employers get vaccinated or tested regularly. What's the issue for the court to decide? The main question is whether the rule meets the requirements for an emergency standard, and that would be partly whether it's too broad and partly whether there is a true emergency, and then as well, if this is a reasonable means of addressing that emergency. The Fifth Circuit sort of trashed the rule in its opinion and put it on hold. From their point of view, OSHA could do nothing right. The rule was overly inclusive because it didn't provide exceptions for non-exposure prone jobs. It was under-inclusive because there were exposures at companies with less than 100 workers that weren't covered. They felt that OSHA had the authority to issue a safety standard on an emergency basis, but not a health standard. And they felt that there may be constitutional issues with the extent of OSHA's authority. So Republican attorneys general, private businesses, industry groups, and unions brought lawsuits against the rule in the 12 circuit courts. Tell us about the lottery to decide which circuit court gets the cases. It's an unusual procedure. What would generally happen is different circuit courts would issue their own decisions, and if they're inconsistent, that's considered a split among the circuits, and the Supreme Court would then take the case. Here, the Fifth Circuit got to it quickly and, in a sense, jumped the gun. None of the other circuits where cases have been filed have yet considered the issue. The procedure is to hold a lottery to randomly select a circuit among all those where cases have been filed. And that was done sort of like the state lotteries where uh, you pick a ping pong ball out of a box. And this one had six circuit written on it. So they're the ones who will get all of the cases together, issue a decision, and then in all likelihood, whichever way it goes, it will get appealed to the Supreme Court. I have to say this lottery system seems inappropriate for major litigation that affects so many people. Yeah, it seems to me the real problem is that the courts are so partisan. The Ninth Circuit is heavily Democratic, and the expectations are they would support the administration. And the Fifth and Sixth Circuits are heavily Republican, and the expectation is that they would go against the administration. If there weren't this partisan split, and if policy and partisanship weren't so conflated in our system right now, the lottery wouldn't present such a challenge. It would be more truly random as to how the appeals court addresses the issue. But I think it's not just a lottery geographically, it's a lottery ideologically as well. And I think that presents the challenge to the fairness of doing it this way, fairness of doing it this way. The Sixth Circuit the Federal Appeals Court in Cincinnati. Tell us about that circuit. Is it considered conservative, liberal? The Sixth Circuit is considered conservative. Republican appointees outnumber Democratic appointees by about two to one. And then there are retired judges who can be called in on occasion to hear a case, and they are overwhelmingly Republican as well. So it's still going to be random as to which judges within the circuit hear the case. And it's possible that there could be a Democrat on the panel. It's theoretically possible it could be all Democrats on the panel. 
but the laws of probability would say it's likely to be all or predominantly Republican appointees. Do they also have a lottery system for picking the panels? Yeah, they have. I can't tell you the ins and outs of how they do their random draw, but it's generally a random process as to uh, which judges hear any specific case. Most people seem to think that Republican-appointed judges are going to be more skeptical of the emergency regulation. Why is that? Is it because it's a Biden administration, or are there other reasons? There are two reasons, and one or both could be influencing any given judge. One is partisanship, that more and more legal issues, policy issues are being decided based on partisan affiliations. And judges are siding with the interests of the party that appointed them. The other consideration, which has been true for decades, is that the parties line up according to certain ideological preconceptions, and that Democrats tend to be more favorable to government regulation, particularly federal regulation, and Republicans tend to be more suspicious of it. So an expansive use of emergency powers would seem more justifiable to the average Democrat as well as the average Democratic judge, whereas almost any action taken by a federal agency would be seen with some skepticism at least by a Republican or a Republican judge. The Supreme Court is likely to have the final say on this. Right, right. Does everyone agree that this is going to the Supreme Court no matter what happens? No, it's not a guaranteed. But given the high political stakes and also the high public health stakes, I think it's extremely likely. One other aspect of this that could come into play is an emergency regulation is, by its nature, emergency. Time is not taken for the full process of vetting it through the public, of publishing it, inviting comments, considering the comments, issuing a proposed rule, getting comments on that. That's a process that takes some months. But the agency is on more solid legal footing if it's a full final rule than if it's issued in a hurry in an emergency. So if the rule is promulgated as a final rule before it gets to the Supreme Court, it might be looked on differently. All of the arguments that this is not a true emergency would then evaporate from the case. And then you'd get down to the question of whether this was needed to protect worker health. And I think it would be awfully difficult to argue that it does not promote worker health. So how do you think the Supreme Court is likely to rule? Because the Supreme Court many, many years ago approved vaccines. And in the emergency petitions, it seems as if they're leaving in place mask mandates. Yeah, Mask mandates are obviously very different. They're less intrusive. This court has been skeptical of COVID protections in terms of applying them to religious gatherings, for instance. They have also signaled that they may be open to a constitutional requirement to include religious exemptions in vaccine mandates. So the administration begins with a disadvantage when it goes to the Supreme Court with its history so far. There's another issue here which the Fifth Circuit hinted at that, that might become more prominent. I suspect that one of the motivations for the Biden administration is to move us along further towards herd immunity and that what they really want to do is get that percentage of Americans who are fully immunized up 
into the 70s, 80s, maybe 90% range when the disease might actually start to dissipate. So in a sense, OSHA is regulating on behalf of the whole population and its authority is supposed to be focused just on the workplace. So it's conceivable that that would be an issue as well with regard to OSHA's general power. So the appeals court, the Sixth Circuit, is going to issue the decision that goes to the Supreme Court. What matters more, what they say or how they frame it and the issues they take up? The way they frame it could be important because the Supreme Court, if they take the case, will be reviewing what the circuit court has done. And their role is supposed to be as a quality check on what the court has done. So they would then go through that court's analysis as their starting point. They don't have to, but it's likely that they would. In terms of the language of the court, that would undoubtedly be referenced by the Supreme Court, but it's not going to structure their decision. It's not going to have the same kind of direct bearing on the way they approach the issues. So the framing could be important, although not necessarily. The Supreme Court can do whatever it wants. It it can uh, base its decision on uh, any uh, kind of structure of the issues that it feels like. Just explain the argument for religious exemptions from vaccine requirements. It's it's a, a murky area. Um, the Supreme Court ruled in 1905 that government vaccine mandates are um, leg- are constitutional. Uh, it subsequently ruled that those mandates do not need a religious exemption, and the analysis was similar in both cases. That Individual liberty is an important value, but it doesn't include the liberty to harm other people or put other people at risk. So whether it's the general liberty, as in that first case, the Jacobson case, to go about your business while you may be infecting people, uh, in the subsequent case, they said religious liberty is important, but it doesn't supersede the um, need of the government to prevent risks to innocent people. Uh, so that's been the law now for over uh, 100 years. Um, this court is much more receptive to religious liberty arguments than previous Supreme Courts. And there's concern in the public health community that they would go a step further uh, if they ha- hear this case and rule that all uh, vaccine mandates have to have a religious exemption. Um, But up till now, it's been a balancing analysis that we want as much religious liberty as possible, but we can't let that put others uh, at risk, particularly when we're talking about serious health effects or even death. Um, In terms of COVID, there are no major religions with doctrines opposed to vaccine mandates. In fact, several of them have explicitly endorsed them. The Catholic Church uh, allows them. Um, Many Orthodox rabbis have endorsed them, even in areas such as Williamsburg, where there have been measles outbreaks. Uh, Muslim clergy have endorsed them. Uh, There really is no major religion that preaches against them. So to exercise uh, your religious objection, you would have to claim that you 
adhere to uh, a, a small uh, denomination. Uh, some resistors have used the argument that vaccines, uh, the COVID vaccine and many others, uh, are developed with, have been developed with a line of fetal cells, uh, which were first um, isolated in the 1970s. Uh, although the Catholic Church uh, does not have an objection to use of the vaccines, uh, the problem with that argument is that many common medications have been as well. Um, Tylenol, Advil, Maalox, um, many uh, antibiotics, um, antidepressants. Uh, so would one of these objectors uh, certify that they will never take a Tylenol uh, if they have a cold or a headache? Uh, that seems unlikely. So in this case, there are very few bases for a genuine, sincere religious objection. Um, depends how far the court uh, goes in interpreting religious exemptions. Uh, you can always claim that you have a faith uh, based on one person, uh, but you inherently, uh, uh, sincerely uh, adhere to it. Um, but uh, as a general matter, uh, it would be a stretch to claim a sincere religious objection. Um, again, up until now, uh, Supreme Court precedent has said that vaccine mandates do not have to include a religious opt-out, this Supreme Court may decide differently. Thanks for being on the show. That's Robert Field, a professor of law and public health at Drexel University. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Plus.